0: Thank you.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Healthy Indoors Live Show. I'm your host, Bob Krell, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine and your chief provocateur uh, for this hourly uh, segment every week. Um, today's a great show. We're going to be uh, joined by some guests from the Environmental Information Association uh, to talk about their upcoming online event. Their national conference has been, uh, again, transposed to the virtual world. And that'll be taking place the end of this month, March 29th, 3rd. 30th and 31st. And uh, we'll be talking more about that uh, as we uh, progress here. Also joining me today is the editor of Healthy Indoors Magazine, Susan Valenti. Um, say hi to Susan. I bring her up here. Hi, Susan. And uh, joining us is our guest today. This will this, be uh, sh- should be an interesting show. Um, we have in no particular order, uh, the conference chair for EIA's upcoming event, Rob DeMello. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Bob? Excellent. Excellent. Always always a pleasure to see you. Um, also, the Managing Director of the Environmental Information Association, Mr. Brent Kynock. Good
2: afternoon, Bob.
1: And last but not least, the President of EIA, Steve Fulford, coming to us from Ontario, Canada.
3: Good afternoon, Bob
1: and uh so i we're we're trying something a little different today for those of you in the live studio audience you're welcome to um bring your you know have your cameras on we're going to actually allow you guys to be uh visible on camera today um and we'll we'll uh we're we're going to just try a couple new things here so it'll be interesting we're The game plan is we're going to spend the first half of the show going over some of the highlights and some of the previewing, some of the things you can expect to find at EIA's uh, national online event coming up in a few weeks. And then we'll open it up the second half of the show to the uh, live studio audience, our virtual audience, and we'll uh, field a bunch of questions and have a hopefully uh, a very engaging and fun discussion. So um, I guess with that, I I think what's important um, is that things have changed a little for all of us, right? With uh, this past year, I mean, here we are you know, entering year two of the pandemic. Um, EIA, you're no stranger. You guys are no stranger to doing virtual events though now, right? Uh,
2: unfortunately, no. We're no strangers. So.
1: <laughs> um, l- last year, we had the opportunity to work with you guys on, on two events, and this is your third one now. So um, how, is, how has that changed things for you, Brent? You know, Bob,
2: uh, for, first of all, uh, let me take a minute and just say thank you to you and your team at Healthy Indoors. Uh, you know, we EIA is blessed to have a great relationship with uh, you for uh, the distribution of your publication to all our members. It's a wonderful thing, and you've helped us uh, through the pandemic with, with getting virtual events up and going, and, and uh, we're grateful for that. Uh, but, you know, I guess, you know, you, you always try to uh, – make lemonade out of lemons. And uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, opportunities have come forward uh, as a result of the pandemic. And there are some really cool platforms out there for a meeting like ours. And uh, we, uh, we believe that the platform that we've selected to carry our uh, meeting at the end of March is, uh, is gonna really allow for a lot of interaction, uh, both on a personal level uh attendee to attendee uh provide some great opportunities for exhibitors to interact with folks that might be interested in their products or services and then of course you know what you would expect uh, the, the presenters will make their presentations uh, to an audience and the audience will be able to ask questions uh, much like you're doing here today
1: excellent um yeah, and so, so you know without uh letting, totally letting the cat out of the bag and stealing your thunder um you have an exciting keynote this year for the event correct
2: Yeah, we do. Yeah, we're you know what? And there's another uh, making lemonade out of lemons situation. Here we are in a pandemic. And uh, because of that, we're able to uh, get uh, Time Magazine's first kid of the year, Gitanjali Rao, as our keynote speaker. And she's 15 years old. uh, And uh, she was selected by Time Magazine from a field that was more than five thousand uh, entrance for kid of the year. Uh, and she's done, uh, she really, uh, her, um, her reach, I guess, is trying to promote STEM education uh, to people her age. But she's actually, the, the thing that brought her across the radar screen for the Environmental Information Association is she invented a device to test for lead in drinking water and developed a, uh, an app for the phone, that uh, actually receives the results of this test kit. Um, so that kind, of, that kind of threw her in front of us since we deal with lead and lead paint. Um, but in the Flint water crisis is what drove her to do it. She's, she's pretty exciting. And for those of you who don't know her, uh, you can just look her up and you can find a great interview that um, uh, she has done as part of the Time Magazine series. And uh, she's a pretty exciting young lady.
1: I mean, what's crazy is that, some, you know, at that age, right, at that young age, to actually do something that's that impactful globally is uh, quite impressive. And I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing her presentation.
2: Yeah, and, and exactly. You know what? And she's been doing it for a long time, Bobby. I mean, she really just because of being selected by time, she's on a lot of people's uh, uh, pages now, if you will. But she's been doing this for years. She's been uh, she's been out there doing uh, projects and creating things and uh, for, for for you know it's probably since she was about 12 uh but as i said uh, angelina jolie did a great interview with her which you can find on youtube or you know in, in any various number of places and uh the two of them uh you know had a simpatico that made for a really great interview
1: excellent one of the things I uh, just so point out to you again you guys as uh Many people are starting to join our live virtual studio audience, and that's an option. If you're watching the stream and you're not part of the actual Zoom meeting, the live audience, you still have the opportunity to jump in. Um, what you could do is go to healthyindoors.com, click on the HI show link, and in there is a link to get you a, an invite ticket into this meeting, where you'll have the opportunity in the second half of the show to uh, actually come on camera and ask questions and participate with us. Um, so those of you that are actually already logged into the live audience, uh, in our virtual audience, um, you can Ask a question either by typing something into the uh, chat feed uh, by clicking on that or clicking on the reactions button down below and raising your hand. And our moderator, Susan Valenti, uh, who is the editor of Healthy Indoors Magazine, will be happy to uh, let you in after you raise your hand and uh, we'll entertain your questions. So we're, we're looking forward to, you know, save your questions for the next 25 minutes or so, but we'll definitely be bringing you in. Um, so, you know. What's interesting, Steve, Steve Fulford's here. He's uh, still you know the reigning champ uh, pres- still president of EIA. Um, it, it's been a while now. You've been president for is it a couple of years? How, how long?
3: Yeah, so this, uh, this is kind of the, the, the final kind of three months of my original tenure um, as the president. Um, but I, I've agreed to stay on for an extra year just this pandemic and the changes that we've seen in the industry um you know just just to see this through to to we can next see people in person um uh, so i'm i'm going to stay on uh for another year until we can, until we uh you know get to, get the, the next president elect ready to go
1: i mean th- you've been here a long time because when you started i mean i was there at at, at live at that uh you became president at the miami conference right the miami yeah event? so just
3: at the end of the miami conference i became the president and then um and then was in um I was in Seattle for the fall technical uh, conference uh, last October, the October before last, I guess, um, and was really looking forward to to spending another uh, three or four days in Seattle. Um, But unfortunately, we know what happened there. Um, And we were able to, you know, pull off the conference last year, very successfully. Um, I think everybody had a great time. Yeah. And then this year, you know, unfortunately not able to be in Philadelphia Uh, And having to do this virtually, but you know what, we're, we're we're a resilient group, right. And, uh, and that's what it's all about just, you know, running with it and, you know, you know, taking it as it goes.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, you've been here so long. I mean, I remember you didn't have a beard when you started. So it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's, it seems like I've watched you age in real time. No, that's, that's just unfair. And I'm clean shaven. So, you know, if I let my beard grow, it'd be white as well.
3: As as I said, I told my wife that I will uh, I will shave my beard and get a haircut when I can get my vaccine. So you know who knows.
1: There you go. So so Steve, uh, so the EIA uh, the the women's committee uh, conducting uh, uh, an EHNS women in the industry study. Uh, tell yeah. us a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, this is a really important study, um, and and our women's committee has has taken the bull by the horns and and really um, is you know conducting the first. Uh, EHS women in the industry study Uh, and this is you know it's really looked at to assess the position of women in industry to to uh, you know to look at their salary their position uh, leadership opportunities um, attitude towards job security advancement uh, and so much more and so it's a a really comprehensive study that they're undertaking right now and the results of that will be presented at our conference so it's going to be really exciting.
1: Excellent. I mean, it's it's really. I think it's it's way past uh, due for uh, you know for this industry to start recognizing uh, women in, in the industry. Um, you know, and I know we're we're kind of a, a white male centric industry. I mean, we all have to acknowledge that. But certainly, uh, you know, taking steps uh, in the right direction, I think, to uh, start uh, moving things forward. Yeah, you so, know,
3: I remember I remember my first my, one of my first jobs when I started. 30 years ago and and right beside me was a female inspector and you know all the guys inside the enclosure were like who's this and uh you know and, and from that point forward it was just a, a, a real um a, a real you know benefit to to having um you know everybody included in this
1: yeah well i mean it, it certainly should be um with this is it, I think this is we're in weird times though. And, and again, not talk, not talking about the women's now. I'm gonna do a little segue shift here. Um with events changing, we you know we we let off the show talking about how things have changed for every every organization in the world uh, trying to host live, you know, in-person events. That really hasn't been possible over the past year. Uh, EIA has done a pretty good job in shifting, you know, rapidly shifting, because you guys got hit at the early end of it, or early, I should say, the early stages of it last year um, to, uh, you know, to to last minute be able to shift into a virtual mode. Uh, Rob... Is uh, Rob Demello is here? He's uh, he's you're the conference chair this year, um, and that's I'm assuming has presented some challenges for you, right? You know, again going going virtual. Um, what kind of stuff's going on? Is like how are you how are you dealing with the fact that you don't have an in person uh, trade show? How do you deal with that?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, Bob. I mean, I'm super excited to be the conference chair, as Brent and Steve can attest. I really was a big proponent of bringing the conference to Philadelphia, since you know it's in my backyard and. It's tough to compete with venues like uh, you know uh, Texas and um, Miami and Arizona, but what we do—asbestos, lead, mold—there's a lot of it up here in the Northeast. So you know, bringing it to Philadelphia was something that I was really behind, but nonetheless, you know, we're, we're virtual and we're definitely very excited about the the program we put together. Now, to answer your question, we're we're really trying to make the exhibit hall. Uh, a great experience and bring value to the attendees. Um, anybody that's attended EIA in the past knows that the exhibit hall was always you know, lively and a lot of interaction, a lot of socialization. So um, to basically counteract that, as Brent talked about, we have a, a great platform that they've implemented and you'll be able to interact with the exhibit, exhibitors uh, live. So you can enter their room Uh, see either videos or actually engage with with uh, a representative of the uh, vendor so we're really trying to make that a great experience and uh, interactive and live so we're really looking forward to that
1: excellent excellent and again you know it's it's a different we're in a different time now you know we've uh we, I think we've all in the industry and all these, all the different organizations that that you know have done traditionally done in person events have had to do some some uh, rapid at, at adaptations, right, to be able to do this. So it's uh, hats off to hats off to this. Um, you know, Brent, you guys have uh, you have give us a little tease about what's going on as far as um what what kind of presentations we can look for uh, in this online event what, what what are we going to be seeing some some highlights of you know yeah.
2: so, uh, let, let me give you one highlight besides besides our uh, keynote speaker uh another plug for her katanjali rao uh super excited about that but uh we're able to get a couple of people to make presentations from the environmental protection network and for those uh folks who are joining us today, and maybe have not heard of this, uh, the Environmental Protection Network was actually started in January of 2017, right after President Trump was inaugurated. Uh, And it's a group of former EPA career staff and actually confirmation level appointees that came together because they were very afraid of what the Trump administration might try to do to undermine the protection of public health and the environment. Uh, And and they've become become a very aggressive, uh, active, outspoken group about uh, science and engineering behind the work that EPA does. Uh, And uh, so I'm fascinated to have them speak to us about, what what has happened to EPA, since Trump was in office and what they expect to happen uh, now that we have a new administration. Um, and we'll see. Uh, but uh, you know, EIA has been uh active in um pushing for a ban on asbestos since the United States still has not banned asbestos, and the environmental protection network has been active in that uh in that discussion as well, and has been very active in calling out EPA for. Uh, the way they conducted the risk assessment around asbestos. So I'm excited to hear them. Uh, and you're talking about, you know, appointees, uh, career level appointees, uh, career EPA people and appointees. Uh, and we'll have uh, two of them. will join our conference and speak to us.
1: I mean, th- that should be a great, uh, great session. Looking forward to it. I know um, you were on the show last year with Linda Reinstein uh, talking, talking about um you know the proposed legislation to uh, actually perhaps ban asbestos in the United States, which I think a lot of people still probably watching the show right now are still under the impression that uh, you know asbestos isn't is outlawed in America, and in fact it is not, right? It is not, you know, and
2: and and EIA uh, has has we've always been in an interesting position on that because uh, with our multidisciplinary membership. Uh, It goes from building owners, contractors, consultants, regulatory folks, training providers, equipment suppliers. Well, you know, it's always been difficult for EIA to to try and take a position on any issue. But kind of across the board, there's broad agreement that we need to ban asbestos in the United States. Uh, So uh, uh, our organization has always tried to provide the people and the expertise and the engineering behind that discussion. Uh, whenever there was an opportunity.
1: We'll definitely get into that a little bit more in the Q&A because I, I'd really like to hear some some from our audience on that but it, it, I, I'm still <laughs> I'm flabbergasted that we're still having this discussion you know it's uh, uh, 2021 and we still are discussing uh, you know more asbestos products being uh, brought, bought and brought and used in this country and absurd um, but you know I, I guess, you know, as far as this event goes, which, which is, again, we're, you know, going back to, back to the fact that EIA has pivoted again this year to do an online and you know, all online uh, virtual event. Um, there are some, you know, I, we, we always hear the negatives about, oh, going virtual is not the same as being in person. You know, and I guess we could all, we could all agree that, yeah, you can't sit at the bar and have a drink together. And so that's, that to me, that's always a big thing. And I know the EIA events, you know, I've had the opportunity to be at many of those over the Uh, in recent years. And there's an awful lot of networking that goes on in person at your events. No question about it. It's a very, uh, you know, very networking centric thing, but one time, is that what you're saying, Bob? I'm not saying I spent all the time at the bar. Uh, I spent a lot of time at the bar, but you have a lot of social events too. So, I mean, it's, it's very, uh, you know, Th- that being said, so that's, that's h- difficult to replicate on a virtual event. And, and I know we've done things with Zoom meetings and virtual happy hours, and you can, you, you, you can approximate some of that, but you, you can't totally match it. But one of the benefits, perhaps, uh, to being virtual is there's uh, an inherent cost savings, right, to attendees. You know, Steve, uh, you, you know, over the years, you know, People go to an event, you know, your your events uh, cost a little bit to go to it, right? For somebody yeah, to go you know, to there's, one,
3: there's a there's a lot of cost that goes into attending a um, a live event, right? Where uh, an in-person event, where where you've got uh, you've got airfare, you've got to get there. Many of us travel uh, from all over uh, North America to get there. Um, you've got uh, you've got the registration, which is usually quite a bit more expensive um, for the in-person event than. Than what uh, what we're looking at this year, um, you've got your hotels. Uh, you know, every every night costs you two hundred fifty dollars or more. Um, your meals meals I'll put in air quotes are uh, fifty. The, if you eat, it's fifty dollars a day, um, and uh, not including any uh, any other uh, beverages of consumption there. Uh, and then you've got to get to and from from the airports to the to the events. Right? So you know, typically you're looking at a minimum somewhere around twenty two hundred bucks. Right, uh, and then our, you know, our conference, um, we're looking at $325 for, for the entire three-day event, um, you know, which is a steal, uh, which hopefully, you know, is at a price point where, where we can attract more people, right? People that, if you, you know, if, you're, if your company uh, doesn't wanna pay $3,000 or $2,500 to send you to an event, $300 is, 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 uh, is much more reasonable. And, you know, with that, we, we really hope that we can, we can attract more people. Uh, to attend this.
1: Hey, Rob, as far as vendors go you know again how what other other uh, avenues are they going to have to engage with the attendees any, anything uh, any sp- special things planned?
0: I would have to defer to Brent on that I think he has a better handle on the vendor side of it.
2: yeah so yeah there's there are uh, there are times set aside uh, throughout our schedule on those three days the 29th 30th and 31st which will be kind of exhibit hall only times, just like at a live conference, you know, you have some, you have some sessions, you have a opening general session uh, with a keynote, and then, uh, you know, you break out into technical sessions. And then, you know, usually there's dedicated exhibit hall hours. We'll have exactly the same thing as part of the virtual conference. And then we've got, uh, we're gonna have some uh, events in the late afternoons and evenings as well. uh where where you can make your own cocktail and and join the social event and we're actually going to be sending out some uh some special recipes to our attendees uh and and try and get people to you know make their make this special EIE cocktail of the day uh for those events as well so we're going to try and have a lot of fun with it
1: i mean i think again you know back to your you know uh making lemonade you know it that's what you have to do right here's where, this is where we are um but I, I suspect, right? Since we're, you know, we've done this for more than a year now for in-person events. I mean, at least I, I, would argue that the uh, the online aspect of these national conferences is going to remain, right? Even once we get back in person, uh, to the extent that we'll probably be looking at hybrid events. I mean, I, that's that's what I would project in this. Oh industry. yeah, without
2: a doubt. And in fact, you know, Bob, we were we were all geared up to do a hybrid event this year, thinking that. Uh, uh, you know, Philadelphia would be lightly attended compared to a normal conference. And we thought uh, maybe we'll get 80 to 100 people there and we should be able to socially distance well. And uh, but there'll be a there'll be a virtual part of it as well. And of course, you know, things have, have stretched out in this pandemic to be a lot longer than any of us would have guessed. So it's all virtual. But now we- I'm Right with you. I think in the future. Yeah, there will always be a virtual portion of everybody, every meeting.
1: Now, now, with with this uh, event coming up at the end of the month, you also have a, a one day uh, rate, right? You have a, even a further discounted if somebody can just attend for a single day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you know the the, the three twenty five rate, uh, it gets you there for all three days and and for uh, all the events. But for uh, uh, if you think your schedule only is going to allow you one day, or you only want to hear certain speakers, uh, there's a a rate, a daily rate of one hundred fifty dollars.
1: Excellent. So what other, um, there's obviously there's uh, you've got a host of uh, sessions coming up, but what other uh, key sessions I'll have toss this out to the three of you. Um, what other sessions uh, would you like to just highlight and mention you know, that, that are coming up that we should be on the lookout for?
3: You know, we've got a great presentation coming up from Adele Abrams, who's a, a nationally known OSHA expert um, to look about, to talk about regulatory changes uh, from OSHA and MSA or MSHA, um, uh, that, are, that are coming up in, in 2021. So it's, I think it's a really important presentation. Uh, I think it's gonna, it's gonna be some brand new information for people uh, and you're only gonna be able to get it at the EIA conference.
0: I'd like to say um, I'm really excited about the uh, presentation on the first day by Dan Peters. He's an environmental consultant out of Ohio and he's gonna be talking about the EPA definition of uh, category one non-friable materials you know your floor tiles, your roofing materials, gaskets, packings. What what materials should and shouldn't be in that in that grouping? And you know, the whole friability aspect is hotly debated. So I expect that to be a spirited uh, presentation with a lot of um, open discussion with, with the attendees. So really looking forward to that one.
2: Excellent. And I'll I'll plug in here as well and say you know uh, picking up on what Rob said about spirited discussions you know, we have a series of round tables uh, scheduled throughout the conference as well. We've got a, a round table on asbestos. We've got a round table on lead paint. We've got round tables on, on other issues as well. And that's, those are designed to be just that. Uh, and that is, uh, we get all the attendees in one place in one room, turn on everybody's mics and everybody's cameras. And uh, let's have a discussion uh, about, about, you know, what's happening in your world what are you seeing in your place of business? And uh, that's always been one of the best parts of an EIA conference is the opportunity to share uh, insights and best practices with your colleagues from around the country and around the world. Uh, you know, here's what we do in Canada uh, that, that is different than what you guys are doing in the United States. Steve can certainly tell you that.
3: It's a lot of extra use. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to a, there's a presentation on robotics, on robotic demolition, um, which is going to be really fascinating uh, from BJ Fungaroli, who's a long-term member of the EIA and a great supporter. So we're really looking forward to that.
1: Well, you know, and Brent, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the EIA is a multidisciplinary group, which it is, right? I mean, you're not just, you know, obviously you were born of the Asbestos Council. You know, it's a, you know, that your, your, your long back history is, is from there. But uh, obviously you, uh, the organization has evolved to uh, quite a bit more than just dealing with asbestos issues, right? Certainly asbestos is one of your, one of your big topics, but um, you cover most everything indoor environmentally, correct?
2: Yeah, exactly right. And and, uh, so, you know, you've got asbestos, you've got lead paint, you've got mold, you've got indoor air quality concerns. Uh, we've got a very very active group uh, in terms of uh, the laboratory analytical side uh, they always get together and have discussions about what what's happening on the on the laboratory side and then uh, we have a group that uh, focuses on uh, providing uh, uh, phase one and phase two environmental site assessments as well that so that even takes you outside of the, the indoor environment if you will
1: yeah and I guess that's again, you know, calling, calling yourselves multidisciplinary, you clearly are. I mean, you're covering, you're covering all aspects of the environmental industry, both in and out, um, which is pretty exciting. It, now, also, in addition to some of the sessions we talked about, and just the pricing and how you're structuring the event, um, you you always have awards every year. Uh, and and I understand there's something you have a new set of awards coming out this year. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. And this is, we're super excited about this. And we're, and it's been a long time coming and way overdue. Uh, and that is, uh, uh, we've started a whole new awards, uh, program within our organization this year to recognize both companies and people, uh, that are extraordinary. And there isn't an awards program within the environmental industry. And, uh, you know, our board of directors realized it a couple of years ago and said, we need to structure an awards program. So we'll have, uh, uh, for the first time ever this year, uh, we'll be making awards to uh, categories like uh, uh, the Laboratory Analyst of the Year, uh, Project Manager of the Year from a Contractor, Project Manager of the Year from a Consulting Firm, uh, Business Owner of the Year, uh, Equipment Supplier of the Year. Those We have a number of categories of awards uh, and, and super excited. You know These are people and companies. That need to be recognized and haven't been in the past, uh, unless you know they. Yeah, you know, we we had an awards uh, an award uh, for lifetime achievement, uh, but that's that's generally given to just a single person each
1: year. You may want to even think about having media personality of the year. Not
2: just... yeah, there we go. <laughs> You're nominated and voted in, Bob.
1: You know, I, I just had to do that because, you know, <laughs> we, it's time for levity. Uh, so this is exciting. I mean, really, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the event this year. Um, I'm actually happy that I'm going to be there just as an exhibitor and a, uh, you know, and a journalist. Uh, it, it'll be a little easier. Uh, your, your events last year were a bit harrowing for me. I just, I'll be honest. Uh, running the controls is always a lot of fun. No, but it's, uh, sometimes it's nice to actually just be a participant um so what i'd like to do is uh you know for our, our uh, live virtual studio audience turn your cameras on guys i'd like to have you uh, uh bring your cameras live and we're going to just kind of open up this discussion and uh field some questions and uh talk about things so uh, i know some of you are already live now but um you know there's a bunch more here uh please turn your cams on so my first i i want to Revisit the thing we started uh, about 20 minutes ago, Brent, the fact that asbestos it has yet well, I mean, it was it was banned for a short period of time right in the US there was uh, years back, but then that didn't last very long, <laughs> and and here, here we are having this discussion in 2021. Um, what's, what's, what's going to change? You know, what are, what are we going to do to actually change the situation in this country? It seems absurd to me that we're even having this conversation. Yeah, but,
2: yeah exactly. When you've got, uh, when you've got over 60 countries throughout the world that have banned asbestos and the United States is, uh, is, is lagging far behind. Uh, so, yeah, what's it going to take? Uh, you know, that's a great question, but from, from a, you know, from a purely kind of technical point of view, with, um, uh, w- with the changes that, that went down, um, uh, EPA had to evaluate a certain number of chemicals uh, for, for, for uh, possible uh, bans, and asbestos was among the first 10 selected. So uh, asbestos went through the whole risk evaluation process, and, and EPA uh, determined at the end of that that, indeed, that chrysotile asbestos uh, presents an unreasonable risk in almost every category I use. So, that's, I would say that's probably good news to people that would like to see asbestos banned. Uh, now what EPA has to do is decide, they have to decide what to do with that determination now. Uh, and they've got two years to do that from the publication of that uh, final uh, risk evaluation. Uh, And so that and that came out in December. So we've got a couple of years yet. Uh, But yet uh, on a sideline to that, and you know this, Bob, because of Linda Reinstein being on the show last year, there's uh, at the same time uh, there is uh, proposed legislation uh, before both the House and the Senate uh, that would ban asbestos as well. Uh, and, And those need to be reintroduced now because we have a new Congress. Uh, but they were, they made it uh, through committee in the House uh, with a, uh, a very bipartisan vote uh, to move it forward. And it just never came to the floor because the House got bogged down with a lot of other things um, uh, like, uh, and,
1: <laughs> and sorry, yeah, uh, there's, and, a lot, there's, a, there's a lot of things that happened that bogged the floor down in Congress. because yeah, uh, we, we, we had that as our cover story in Healthy Indoors in December. Uh, as we know. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So, yeah, you know, uh, as, as, and as you mentioned that, you know, our organization was founded as the national asbestos council. So uh, the, 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 the roots of the organization are in asbestos. And so uh, we always, all of our members uh, uh, have some involvement in, in the asbestos field, it seems like.
1: So do you, uh, are, are you th- seeing anything different that'll happen under the new administration? Um, you know, what, well, what, do you think is going to happen regarding, you know, well, first of all, for this, uh, the impetus on on finally maybe banning asbestos or maybe, and some other things that might be of interest that you think that you think might, this shift uh, in uh, administrations might, you know, open opportunities for uh, some new legislation or some new uh, at least initiatives.
2: You know, I, it's probably too early to tell, Bob. Uh, uh, but I'll tell you what—I'll I'll give you kind of my my personal feeling on the thing, and that is: uh, this is not an EIA feeling; this is a Brent Kainock feeling. You know, uh, I think in the in the process of the risk evaluation of asbestos that went down as part of the revisions to TOSCA, uh, I think EPA tried to do everything they could to. to to paint themselves into a place where uh, they, they would not be able to say that asbestos uh, was dangerous, <laughs> yet, yet they painted that picture for themselves, and they still determined that asbestos presented unreasonable risk. So I think they tried to roll the dice in a way that would would uh, uh, would have gone the direction that uh, maybe the administration was hoping for, but they still came out and said it presented unreasonable risk. And that's the reason I found that to be, to be pretty amazing. What would we expect? I think naturally all of us would probably expect things to be um, a little more pro environment under this administration. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what, what can or will be done uh, in that regard.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, the thing is like, I'm going back. Cause you know, we've all been in the industry quite some time and it, at least in my, you know, my time here in the industry, it, it seems like indoor environmental issues have not become more focused under Democratic administrations than Republican administrations necessarily, you know, over the years. I'm just, again, from, and Susan will probably chime in on this too as well, right? It, it's like, there's a lot of times where it really did seem like we thought there was gonna be a, a big focus on it. And, you know, it's, it's at least I, you know, the IAQ in general has like started and stopped and stalled a, a bunch of times in the United States. Um, and I don't know why, <laughs> I, I, to, 30 years later, I still don't really understand why we aren't as focused as we should be on it. But no, I,
2: I absolutely agree with you, Bob. And in fact, uh, I, I think for, for those of us that are focused on indoor environmental issues, not, not water or air pollution, uh, most of the regulatory um, uh, engines that, that we've seen presented, have been uh, brought forward uh, under Republican administrations, uh, which is interesting. Uh, I don't know how that's happened that way, but that 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 is uh, you know if you look at uh, the asbestos legislation, you look at lead paint legislation, all of those were brought forward under Republican presidents.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, it's um, I'd like to make a comment. Sure. Um, you know, Brent's absolutely right, and it's mind boggling that we don't have a ban. It should really not be that difficult. We're not really bringing that much asbestos into the United States except for one specific application. And there's a lot of liability reasons why, you know, companies wouldn't purposely add asbestos to their products. To me, it's more about the legacy asbestos that's in place all throughout the country. And I can tell you, I'm doing, I just did an AHERA inspection this this week where the previous Ahira report said, you know, there's no suspect asbestos-containing material in the, in the school. And I found a room with spray on in the basement that of a high school that they were using it as the music room. And that was not on any previous Ahira inspection going back, you know, back to, uh, you know, 1990. So there's so much legacy asbestos, and to me, that's really... It's a huge question, and obviously we can't just go out and remove it all, but what do we do with everything that's in place as of this day? That That's really a big question that I have.
1: I mean, it's crazy. I think back to when I was in high school back in the 1970s, and our gymnasium was all uh, spray on asbestos, fireproofing, exposed, so when a volleyball would go up there and hit it, it would rain down on all of us. Our auditorium was a spray popcorn ceiling that would you know rain down on everybody for every event our our uh, cafeteria had all spray popcorn asbestos you know and we had we had exposed i guess it was originally 1920s building right we had exposed uh, asbestos uh pipe insulation you know on on elbows and things in classrooms that we would like rip off and throw at each other and you know it's and you know, it, and, you know i'm not making making fun of it i mean i think it's just crazy that it was just it was that much of it but how do we still have that today you know like makes no sense to me
2: Uh, it makes no sense and you know what Uh, remember i said earlier that epa did everything they could to try to paint the picture one of the things they didn't even consider these legacy exposures that that rob just mentioned Uh, they said no we're not going to consider legacy exposures we're only going to consider exposures that might occur from asbestos that is currently in commerce uh, in in the United States of America, and that that really uh, drew a focus down to uh, the industries that are currently uh, using asbestos products, and it's that's very limited.
1: Yeah, there's not that many, so that's that that's like intentionally laser focusing <laughs> to kind of you know pigeonhole it. Um, it's, so I want to remind again our, our live virtual audience. Um, you all have the opportunity to ask questions. Um, chime in here. We actually would, lo- would love to hear your input on this topic, or you know, we certainly can. It doesn't have to just. We're talking about asbestos now, but certainly we can we can discuss most anything here in our last twenty minutes uh, re- relating to indoor environmental issues. Um, if you'd like to jump in, by all means, uh, hit the reactions button, raise your hand. Uh, Susan will get you on board, and uh, we'll hear what you have to say. Um, you know, we we didn't cover in the conference. Are we we're discussing? You know, some of the highlights. What you have coming up? Doing anything on uh, COVID nineteen, SARS CoV two? Any specifically on that, or has that topic been beaten dead? Uh,
2: you know what? We 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 do not have a presentation on COVID at this conference. So we had presentations last year. We had presentations at our fall conference, and uh, I guess we feel like I uh, uh, won't. Well, certainly not dead. I think we can all agree to that. Right. Yeah. But I think we're probably all tired of hearing uh, things about what can be done to um, to try and solve concerns around COVID. Since uh, you know, hopefully, within uh, you know three months or maybe less, uh, we're going to have uh, uh, most every adult vaccinated.
1: Hopefully,
3: that that leads into um, that leads into return to work, right? And 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 you know, really. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for this industry uh, on the return to work aspect uh, to really focus on uh, inter quality issues, um, and so I really do think that as we see the workforce getting back to the offices uh, and getting back to work, that there should we should see an uptick um, in work uh, in 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 you know proving or, or trying to uh, trying to evaluate uh, the spaces and, and the performance of the HVAC systems. Uh, and I know that I get these questions every day on, you know, how do we do this? How do we prove this? How do we make our, our clients, um, you know, safe or, or feel that they're, that they're safe when they return to work. So I, I really do think that there's an uptick uh, in work coming our way.
1: Well, and, and to that point, Steve, um, you know, there's been, I think the highest focused interest on indoor environments that I've seen in my entire career, um, you know, in this past year. Right. And I think we'd all agree with that, uh. So, and of course it's been focused on, you know, the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, and eliminating airborne pathogens like SARS-CoV-2, you know, from the indoor environment, but you know, it's, it's also, it, it's, that's trickled and all, not even just trickled, that's like been driven all the way down, even to consumer level, right? The, even consumers are are more concerned and interested in indoor air quality, indoor environmental quality issues now than they, they have been, right? It's more, it's, it's more, more um, I think it's a higher tiered thing in you know, people's concerns now. So how do we, as an industry, take this momentum and again, you know, look again, back to the analogy of, you know, making lemonade from lemons, right? We, you know, we're coming off of this horrible global pandemic that's killed tons of people and just been awful and, you know, crippled economies. But how do we take that and and get something positive out of it other than just surviving the pandemic? Because if we survive the pandemic and go back to, the, you know, the way we did things, you know, business as usual, have we not missed a, a, an opportunity to make things better? Thoughts? Yeah, you know-
3: you know, you know, from, from my perspective, I, I really do think that, that proactive management uh, is really going to be coming to the forefront uh, when you look at sensor technology and connected buildings and, and all of these, these different avenues that people can can use on a on a on an hourly basis or, or a 10-minute basis uh, to look at their building performance and look at look at the quality of the air that they've got in their buildings. I think it's a great opportunity. Um, for for number one, for exposure, you know, I'm not going to use the word exposure, but for for the, for for a focus on the on the IAQ industry and how IAQ as a driver uh, impacts uh, performance of building occupants. Yeah, and I think uh, Rob Rob could could even
2: expand upon this a little bit because I know in in his business, uh, you know, questions come forward about. Uh, restarting HVAC systems uh, is this is a great time maybe in some places when they're unoccupied to be addressing uh, you know decades-old challenges that existed with HVAC systems uh, uh, there's concerns around Legionnaires because we've had water sitting idle in pipes for so long uh, go go ahead Rob I won't take your thunder on that
0: yeah no thanks I mean it definitely I agree with Bob what he said about the the heightened awareness around indoor air quality concerns. So I think that's just gonna be beneficial moving forward for everybody, the occupants and our industry. How we leverage that, I don't know. But you know, for me personally, our company, we've been extremely busy doing ventilation assessments in Philadelphia and New Jersey in schools, in uh, commercial buildings. And th- these folks are spending money to evaluate their systems and and they are upgrading their systems and i'm just amazed because everybody is really nobody's saying no right now because they want to get their folks back to work and back to work safely but i'm just amazed you know we're we're going through the uh let's say the older schools where they have these old house fan systems that have asbestos Uh in and around those systems um I'm, i'm sure as brent can attest i'm a big proponent of uh Microvax for asbestos and we've done a lot of that we found a lot of asbestos in these fan systems and then they're being abated uh we did a, an hvac assessment where at the at the very end of the report we just said you know the cdc recommends since your building's been stagnant for so long the water you should test for legionella they called two weeks later they said can you test our building for legionella so uh it's just amazing the heightened awareness and it's really it's good for everyone um and, and Lead and water is another example that's been very uh, active recently because of the heightened awareness. Well,
1: you mentioned schools. I mean, schools are notorious for having, I would say, inferior HVAC, you know, ventilation and air supply systems, at least in the United States. I'm not speaking globally now, but um, I've, you know, I've, in my career, I've spent you know, the past 30 plus years working for a lot of school districts. And I'm just, you know, it's amazing how, how poorly we actually ventilate a classroom space. It, typically, right? You'd agree with that. So, oh, I mean, do you, do you see, I know there's been a, a quick push to do to, to come up with uh, mechanical solutions, mechanical system solutions in response to the pandemic. But do you see that this being carried forward? Do you, and, and do you think that school districts and uh, tax dollars would be allocated to finally upgrading these systems to provide uh, better air quality in our nation's uh, public schools?
0: I do. I believe it. it's being driven a lot by the uh, teacher union as well. So they are, you know, this is not gonna go away. I mean, we really, right now they have social distancing in, in the schools that are in person. Uh, they've upgraded their their HVAC systems. Uh, they've incre- in, increased the filtration, the MERV rating of their filters. Some of the systems can't handle the higher MERV rated filters. So now there's goes to the capital side and that's gonna be coming down the line but we're seeing um, lots of portable HEPA units in, in the hallways, in the classrooms, um, increased air changes per hour. Um, one school actually went out and bought little exhaust fans that they put in the windows to exhaust out all, out all the windows. Uh, so I, they're, they're all actively trying to do what they can with their budgets, but to answer your question, it's not going away. Yeah, I think this is here to stay and it should.
1: Hmm. I mean, when you look at like a lot of the school building stock, you know, that uses that model of uh, unit ventilators, you know, Mm -hmm. those things, I mean, they really operating perfectly and actually, you know, installed and balanced right don't do very much of an air change in the space. You know, in best case scenario, that's that's if they're actually properly maintained and operating right, uh, and in most cases, that's not the case. So, so that that's an issue. Um, but it, you know, it carries. So schools always are near and dear, right, to all of us because we worry about our children's well-being, or at least we purportedly do. But it's, you know, thus far, we haven't really done a great job of uh, uh, making schools really super healthy in the last forty years. Uh, it is what it is you know i mean again i can't speak to canada steve uh, but you, you guys you do view things a little different there right
3: yeah it's a it's a little bit different but i the the, the basic premise is all the same bob there's no there's not a lot of significant differences
1: really yeah. well I, I, was, I was hoping you were gonna you know uh you know come, chime in with saying how great how great you guys do it um <laughs> but you know it's you know as well you, you dampened that one on me there's, um, there's, there's
3: good schools and there's bad schools frankly when you're talking
2: about schools if you just if you just stand back for a moment and 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 look at uh the, the realities of of schools you've got a you know if you look at a set of plans for a new school today you look at the hvac system you think yeah that's that's good but then remember that the school is closed for three months uh almost every year or at least a large portion of schools are closed uh that presents a problem and and they i think that maintenance wise uh you know there's challenges there you know as opposed to looking at a building or facility that actually generates revenue schools just don't do that you know so uh i think the maintenance side of things is probably uh even though no one would want to admit it's that way i think that's just a reality
1: of the situation but i thought we believed that children are our future Agreed. You know, I mean, I, I always, I always love that. Where you know, like until it comes down to dollars and cents, but um, you know, it, right? It's kind of crazy. It, so what? You know, there's other things that are going to change here. I think going forward. And you know, and we're we're kind of getting to the end of the hour here, but. It, so schools, schools are one area where we may see some upgrades, and hopefully we will see some positive, uh, positive change there. But even just in the commercial workspace, with a, a lot of white collar jobs being uh, done remotely now, right? There's a there's a ton of them. A ton of people are, uh, you know, uh, virtually uh, working from home. Um, how is that going to change the landscape of perhaps uh, commercial office space? Uh, you know, for a lot of companies, you know, around the globe. Are more people now going to work from home, and if so, does that not, does that not bring bring up some issues, right? You know, do they have the space at home uh, with good indoor air quality uh, in that environment necessarily to work the extra eight hours, uh, and and will you know what will change here, you know, and will we have a different environment in the in the commercial office spaces? Because are we going to be afraid of getting near people forever?
3: No, I, I, don't, I really don't think that's, I don't think we'll be afraid of, once everybody's vaccinated, I think we'll see the, the, the panic decrease a little bit. But I do think the future of commercial office space is going to change uh, forever. And I think you'll find that, um, you know, I have some, some inside knowledge on commercial uh, office buildings. Um, but I do think that, uh, that the future, in the future, uh, the office will be much more of a destination. So it'll be people, the landlords will use their offices to draw people in, draw their workforce in for meetings, for social spaces, um, for, for things they, they can't do at home. And, and those, those head down tasks that they can do at home, they'll still do those there. But it'll be more of a meeting place uh, and a meeting space.
1: But that, that'll change how we do build outs, right? And how we design uh, office spaces. So we may not have the, a lot of dedicated individual offices anymore, right? So, I mean, going forward, things that, that could change the landscape of how we even configure our commercial space.
3: Yeah, that was already changing, like with uh, with hoteling and and uh, and open concept office spaces. That was already changing. Um, I think I think with with what uh, we've just experienced over the last year, people are way more comfortable now with having their workforce work from home. Um, the trust level is higher um, with uh, with uh, with the executives in the large office buildings uh, or large employers. So I think I think that's that's been proven that it's that it's a beneficial um you know scenario that people work from home um you know when you come into the house though that's a whole other issue that that is that i think that hr departments and and safety departments within these larger or larger organizations are going to have to tackle
1: i mean liability standpoint right because now it's a workers comp when you're working at home on behalf of your company that's an issue there's legal
0: implications but also one area that can't be overlooked is ergonomics Um, I agree. I mean, it's going to there's a paradigm shift where folks are going to work more from home, but who's to say your workstation is designed, you know, with ergonomics in mind? And there could be repetitive stress injuries now because your workstation is just, you know, you got a makeshift desk or, you know, your chair is something that you yeah, you're on your kitchen table working. And now, and you brought up an excellent point about liability. You know, now workman's comp being at home, so it would be. Very interesting to see how all of this plays out um, as we move forward, but there's no doubt the way we work is going to be changing.
1: Now, an interesting point here too, and you know we're guilty of it again here today. Is and because I led this discussion, got us down this rabbit hole. Um, we're always talking about white collar jobs in corporate office settings. Now that's going to change, but what about the blue collar jobs, the factory jobs, the you know the jobs that are not going to you know haven't been remotely done because they can't be done remotely are we going to change how we have those places i mean mean, you know let's go to the ugly the poultry factories and places like that you know i mean you know places where people are on top of each other and you know the environments are anything but uh you know ugly uh you know they're they're, i mean they're just awful um do you foresee changes in that in the manufacturing sectors and the sectors of the, the jobs all the critical workers that didn't get to stay home I think to
0: a certain extent, there will be, but not as much. Um, I know I dealt with a client It was um, a manufacturing plant where I had to do um, OSHA monitoring for their workers, and they were handing out P100s. And I said, well, why are you giving them P100s? Do you have a medical surveillance program? Do you have a fit testing program? No, 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 no. I said, well, why'd you do this? He said, well, it's a dusty operation, and because of COVID, I couldn't find regular dust mat dust masks they were all back ordered so i bought p100s so I, I think there'll be some you know ancillary uh, effects where the blue collar manufacturing sector will improve but they're still going to work so i think they've been impacted less than the white collar um
1: jobs certainly. well i'd argue that they haven't been impacted less they've been uh, regarded less <laughs>
0: Yeah, they can't do that. their job from home that's, that's i
1: know true. i get i know i get that rob i wasn't jumping on you on that i'm just saying in, in general right we, you know everybody talks about all these great home workspaces and we're still sending all the uh low-paid workers uh into the into the crowded work environments you yeah. know with now with surgical masks
2: <laughs> right exactly and and as rob said they, they've worked through the whole pandemic you know that because we had to uh uh, you know, hopefully, we'll see those uh, the the owners of those businesses make changes from an air quality standpoint um, to to at least try to improve the air quality or, or the the exchange rate of air or those kinds of things that we get concerned about in the
1: indoor air quality industry. I mean, ho- hopefully, my you know my hope is that we have substantive change, right? Uh, that there's something you know something good comes of all of this ugly um, and that we actually drive it forward. So we're, we're getting we're getting on the hour here. so a closing closing point, I want to go around to all three of you um, with all three of our guests. Um, so what is uh, the environmental Information Association uh, you know what what is what have you done and what do you envision doing going forward to help you know, drive on this, you know, this, this current initiative towards maybe improving our indoor environments. How, how, how can you as an organization better get this message out to consumers? And I know that you're not a consumer organization, obviously, but, you know, and to industry professionals to help, help drive this point home that we need to continue this. Thoughts on that? So I'll I'll go, I'll go around. I'll let each of you uh, mull it over for a a brief second here, and then I'll call on you. I'm going to start with Brent. Um, And what do you think?
2: You know i think that uh, uh we work all the time uh to fulfill our mission uh, to collect generate and disseminate information about environmental issues in buildings facilities and and the biggest way we do that is through our conferences and our meetings where where uh professionals can share their knowledge with other like-minded professionals and i think that's the that's what we do as an organization to try and improve uh, our industry uh, constantly is uh, we share information back and forth. And, you know, it's a lot easier and a lot more fun to do it in person, but we're doing it virtually and and we'll, we'll get it done and the information will still be out there and be disseminated.
1: Rob, I'm going to go with you next.
2: Sure. So
0: to me, knowledge is power, right? And EIA, what is their mission? Like Brent said, it's to educate and disseminate information. So we're going to be at the forefront of all these new emerging uh, issues, and I think we'll continue to do that. What I think is interesting is that I'm hoping that because of the new this new paradigm shift that we have with you know virtual events, that in the future we may actually attract new attendees that will take advantage of the educational offerings of EIA because they can attend for one day virtually, versus going to the three-day full conference, especially if they're not like a hardcore person that works in our industry. And that's gonna be another avenue or a venue for us to now educate new people about what we do and, and offer these subject matter experts across these disciplines, which is so unique for EIA. Steve,
3: thoughts? Yeah, no, exactly. I know exactly. I totally agree with what Rob and, and Brent said. Um, I think knowledge is power, and so you know one of the things when I took over as the president um, of the organization was I really tried to focus on our committees, our technical committees, and getting our getting some information up onto our website, uh, current information um, that people can go use as a resource um, to go to when we talk about you know the latest trends in indoor air quality or trends in in asbestos and sampling and analytical, uh, just coming up with. Um, you know, stuff that our members can use. So some of the big things we're working on, uh, you know, we're working on a, 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 an exposure assessment, an NEA, um, that the industry can use for sampling. Um, so that's a big undertaking. Uh, it's going to take a long time to do, but that's one thing that our, our asbestos committee and our sampling and analytical committee is doing. We've got updates coming to the phase one standards That were just updated so you know look at you know keep keep an eye on the EIA website um and you know using technology and using you know this this avenue that we've got to promote is 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 really important uh, moving forward.
1: Uh, Patrick, from our audience, I uh, actually uh, typed in, in the comments, uh, another one is uh, that's going to be interesting is the implementation of cruise ships when they get back into this vacation rush that will likely follow this pandemic and uh, saying that his network uh, does water testing and IQ related stuff on these ships. So that's good. That, yeah, I think that's that's going to be a really big factor, Patrick, um, uh, because, again, people get into those close cramped quarters and you know, will, will the consumers of these uh, services be comfortable uh, you know, if we have do things as usual. So that that, that should be an interesting uh, interesting uh, way that plays out. So we are we are to the top of the hour, um, and you know in, in you know, in keeping with trying to be somewhat on schedule, um, what I would like to do is, uh, you know give each of each of our guests just uh, uh, like a 30, 60 second uh, time to just uh, put in a final point. You know, final final comment that you might have, uh, plug for the conference, plug you know, pl- plug for your favorite uh, cartoon character. No, whatever. Uh, I, I I just I have a really hard time not getting a little political every time, but um, it's just it's in my nature, Brent. You know, you know that. So um, we'll we'll go around again, and I'll uh, I'm going to go to Rob first. Uh, final thoughts, closing thoughts, parting comments.
0: Yeah, thank you for hosting this. I think it was a great session, and I just hope everybody will take advantage of the value and the benefits of EIA and attend the virtual conference. We're gonna make it a great experience and disseminate a lot of great information. So we hope to see you there. Excellent, Steve?
3: You know, I, I think one of, the, one of the big things is that the EIA is, is the only organization that does this in North America, right? So we, we are uh, where you can get new information. So I think it's, it's critically important um, that people attend our conference, I think it's there'll be some great new information. Uh, and and you know, I use EIA um, for the networking and just the connections I've made all across North America um, with the experts. You know, I can call on any one of my colleagues um, from Georgia to Alaska. Um, you know, as an expert that I know personally, and say, "Hey, I've got an issue in the north, or I have an issue in the south. What do I do?" And and they're always uh, information's
1: free. And Brent, we'll let you, uh, give the wrap up comment.
3: Yeah. Thank you. No, uh, listen, our, our
2: volunteer leaders, Steve and Rob, uh, said it, said it very well. You know, we're, we are putting on a conference where the kind of information you need to improve your business, which will improve the world, uh, and the world we live in is right there at your fingertips. So please join us. And then, you know, I want to say to Patrick, who, who, uh, had to comment about cruise ships hey patrick we would love for you to submit a session to eia uh maybe for our fall conference which is going to be in phoenix and talk to us about the challenges you faced uh, trying to help cruise ships get back in business that's that's exactly the kind of thing we like to share uh, among our like-minded professionals
1: excellent so um let me uh, take the, take a moment here to uh, remind you all um, of some of the things we're doing with Healthy Indoors. Uh, for example, um, the Healthy Indoors website has had a minor change in the last uh, 10 days. Um, we've actually uh, included um, some new tabs up here. Obviously, you could always uh, get to our homepage. Um, all of the back issues of our USA edition, eight years uh, and, and then some are available under the Magazine tab. Um, you'll notice a new tab that's called Community. And uh, one of the things that we're doing here, we're in beta for this right now, but we're, um, we're launching an online global community um and what what is what is this well it's an online platform um i darest i compare it susan will cringe again to a combination of or something in the vein of a linkedin slash facebook that's specifically focused on indoor environmental topics so it's a place where you're going to be able to network with other professionals globally right people from all around the world on specific topics in the industry but it's much more than that um w- this platform will evolve into uh, a place where events will be streamed uh, Um, Content will be available. There'll be a lot of engagement interaction, a repository of a lot of information. Um, A lot lot of things will be happening there. So that's something you can definitely take a look at. And if you go to uh, Healthy Indoors uh, website right now, healthyindoors.com, and you uh, click on the community tab, it'll take you to a uh, landing page that'll allow you to pre-register to become one of our pro members on that community. And uh, now through May 1st, we're offering uh, free memberships to the community. Uh, You'll be able to actually... uh, Uh, get that for free which is pretty cool um and and we're looking forward to having that thing grow and spawn on its own obviously we will be stewarding it and you know nurturing it but uh, it'll take on a life of its own and we anticipate that will happen um also uh you can uh, get access to healthy indoor show when you click on the uh, healthy indoor show tab the hi show uh tab on our website you'll actually be able to um get to all the back episodes of this show as well as our audio podcast so that's pretty cool um so, we're looking forward to uh, having you uh, take advantage of all these things. So, so they're all at healthyindoors.com. Um, We do have the March edition coming out soon and some, uh, you know, just a bunch of stuff. So uh, check in at a regular basis for that. Also, I'd like to mention again that we have uh, the EIA, Environmental Information Association Online Virtual National Conference. I really butchered the title there. Sorry, guys. Uh, But, you know, I I put it all together. I mean, it is what it is. Um, That's the end of this month, the 29th, 30th, and 31st of March. uh, Online, you can get access to that register learn more about it at eia-usa.org and we'll have that posted in the show liner notes Um, it's also for those of you in the studio audience in the chat so we definitely uh, you know encourage encourage you all take advantage of uh, coming uh, you participate at that event it should be looks to be a very good event coming up and uh, quite uh, value priced so that's a good thing So, without further ado, um, again, like to thank our guest today, uh, Brent Kynock. Rob DeMallo, and Steve Fulford from the Environmental Information Association, as well as all of those of you who joined us in our live virtual studio audience. You guys were kind of quiet today, but that's okay. You know, we're not gonna, we're gonna force you to talk, but, um, you know, uh, certainly there's there'll be opportunities for future discussions. Next week, we got a great show coming up. Next Thursday, we'll have Jeff and Connie May. Jeff May, who is a longtime industry veteran in the indoor air quality industry, also an author of many books. Actually, he and uh, his wife, Connie, have co-authored a bunch of books uh they they've just reissued um a new edition of their original book or one of their first books in the industry called my house is killing me and uh the new edition of it's out we'll be talking about that next week next thursday from 1 to 2 p.m here on the healthy indoors show so with that i thank you all for watching us this week we will see you next week here same bat time bat channel on the healthy indoors live show until then stay healthy stay safe The top of 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 the
0: the top of the top